Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here and uh, you you um, wrestled the weather to get here. I, I'm always amazed. Um, the 4th of July is like only like what? 29 days away. And then August, at the end of August, the next month, we're all at the county fair and we're all standing around the fireplaces at night because winter's coming. Something to think about. Okay. If you're new here, I want to welcome you. And uh, I've got this little thing called God of Wonders. Uh, you're invited to take one of these, as well as a little book called Time to Grow, as well as a book called, a little DVD called Evolution versus God. And uh, it's really good to defend your faith because we need to do that because uh, God's word is under attack by the world. It always has been. But I believe in these last days, it increases everybody's going to believe something. My prayer is that you get to everyone before they do. And so to really equip you with God's word is so important. And uh, if you're new here, we actually teach the Bible. We go line by line through the Bible. Today we're in the book of Acts chapter 2, commemorating something that happened 1,990 years ago. Today. Amazing. It's called... The infilling of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring, the gift of Pentecost that came on the, you might say, the festival of Pentecost, but it also called ingathering. And that's where the farmers would bring in the first part of their harvest to the priest. This is found in Leviticus. And they would then give it to the priest and the priest would wave it as an offering to the Lord. And they would then um, uh, celebrate this. Well, it's the first fruit of what's going on. And the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all the believers is the first fruit, I believe, of what God was going to do in the church in the days to come. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Now, first of all, we remember Jesus had ascended to heaven, Acts chapter 1. And he told them to go to the upper room and wait. Now, the reason why I think that's really important is because, first of all, Jesus was taking the keys of the kingdom and turning them over to his disciples. Now, everybody knows how scary that can be when you take your keys to your car and turn them over to your 16-year-old. You're taking the keys of the kingdom and you're giving them and saying, please, Obey the speed limit, stay away from telephone poles, trees, things like that. Jesus is turning the keys of the kingdom over to his disciples. And he says, go to the upper room and wait. Now there's about 120 that gathered there. We realize it probably wasn't in a house because even today with our much larger houses than they had in the time of Jesus at that time, to put 120 people in an upper room, it would have probably been the upper room of of the temple, most likely. And so Jesus said, go there and wait. So we got a couple of things. Jesus ascended. He's turning the keys of the kingdom over to the disciples. They are under divine commission to go and wait in the upper room. 
and the Holy Spirit would come upon them. Now, Jesus said, you being of the world know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you're here this morning, you might say, well, what is that? Well, that's what Acts chapter 2 is about, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's a good gift, a gift unlike any other gift you could ever find, buy, or obtain any other way. It was so dynamic that Simon the sorcerer offered money to the disciples saying, give me this power that I may impart the Holy Spirit to people. And the disciples responded, your money perishes with you. Uh, There's another term we have for that. You and your money can go to, well, anyway, you get the idea. It was very strong. He said this to a sorcerer because in those days, sorcerers would exchange the secrets of their trick by giving money. Well, this since this isn't a trick, it's the real thing. It comes only by God. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would now, just as it did 1,990 years ago, fill this room, touch every person here, and empower us in Jesus' name. Amen. What's important about Acts chapter 2 is we need to teach the Bible, not church dogma. Church dogma falls into, well, our denomination believes this, and so mindlessly we're just going to repeat what our denomination says. We don't do that here. If we can't prove it, we don't do it. I host a a live call-in radio talk show across America uh, every day. Uh, I field questions from every aspect of the Bible. And here's one of the greatest problems that I would run into. If I say something I cannot prove, or that I have taught something repetitively that really isn't in the Bible. These are real problems, and you don't want to do that. So when we understand then, all those who gathered in the upper room, they were all believers in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is what convicts us to become saved. We are greed of our sins. We're tired of the sleepless nights of our, of our, uh, the weight of what we carry around, uh, running from our sins our whole life. And the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins and we repent. And God then comes and makes his residence inside of us. That's what being born again is. The infilling of the Holy Spirit, though, friends, is something different. And it's mentioned all the way through the Bible, whether we look at, uh, uh, in the book of Acts uh, 8, 14 through 17, where they were all believers, they'd been baptized, but they were not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's groups of people out there, again, going back to the dogma. Well, when you get saved, you get everything from God. That is not what the Bible teaches. And if you don't believe me, go to Acts 19 and read. Paul says, he writes, since you have believed, have you been filled with the Spirit? That's important, friends. Because there's some empowering, something that God wants to do beyond just us having our sins forgiven. We need empowerment. 
And that empowerment comes from the Holy Spirit. I look back over the course of my lifetime, and I accept the Lord when I was five years old, raised in church. My mom read us the Bible every day, chapters of the Bible, every day before we would go to school. And in the summertime, that gave my mom even more time to read us the Bible, so we would get about three hours worth in the morning. Kids would come over, knock on the door. Can Mikey come out and play? No, he's having his Bible lesson. Do you want to come in? No, I'll see you later. You know, they write off. But the thing is, that's where I got such a, a foundation. It was not from a Bible college, but from a godly mother who took the time to drive it into us, where she made us memorize entire chapters of the Bible. Now, at the time, it didn't seem like that big a deal. But the problem was, is that still there was something missing in my life. And I remember people that would knock on the door of our house, and they were very well dressed, and they said, we are here to tell you about a New Testament, a new gospel. Well, Paul, I remember by studying, said, said beware of anybody coming along teaching you a new gospel. That's dangerous stuff. So I remember watching them, looking at them, talking to them, but I didn't have, I was tongue-tied. I didn't have a boldness about me. I was a geek. Now, some of you, if your kids are geeks, there's hope, okay? You know, other than the tape on the glasses, I was a full-blown geek, I liked radios. I didn't care if the whole world collapsed. I just wanted to solder my my Heath kit together, my radios. That's what I liked. My parents bought me a CB radio, I remember. And they said, well, this will keep him busy all summer putting this together. I built it in a week. And that worried him. Because now I've got all this stuff and i got all this time, but what are we going to do with him? I was a geek. But radio fascinated me. But I didn't have any boldness. I didn't like to be around other people. If somebody, I shared this a couple Sundays ago, but if somebody would have said, you're going to stand up and talk to people in person, and you're going to talk to people on the radio, I'd say, you're a liar, because you don't know what you're talking about. And I remember looking at those guys through the screen door, and they were saying things that I knew were not scripturally right, and I didn't have the unction inside of me to say, stop, no, you're wrong. And I remember I went to a church, and the pastor there said, anybody that's a believer but you've never been filled with the Spirit, I want you to come down here, and I I want to pray for you. Now, there's not a formula for receiving the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you ask, God will give it. So that's all you really need to do. And I remember I went down and this man prayed for me. I didn't vibrate or fall on the floor, swing on chandeliers or nothing like that. But I, I, when I walked out, I go, that, that was really weird. But, I, you know, I noticed something. I noticed that I wasn't scared to talk to people anymore. And I could walk up and talk to anyone. And I thought, this is really weird. And not only does the Holy Spirit give us a boldness, the Bible says, but it's also that power that comes, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, that power is the word dunamis in the Greek. And it's where we get the word dynamo like a car, like a generator in your car. Not dynamite, 
that goes bang and it's over, but dynamo that keeps on generating. And I look over the years of my life and through everything that I've been through as a Christian, and I've been through a lot of junk. I've been through a lot of, I've had people, they have nothing else to do but slander, okay? But really, honestly, that's about all they can do. That's all they could do to Jesus. Why do you eat with publicans and sinners? Jesus said, well, they're the ones that need the doctor. Well, there's always going to be the slander that's going to come. It's going to come in every single way that it comes. Jesus said, your enemies are the enemies of your own household oftentimes. So we have to be aware of that. But the thing is, what I needed in me, as I needed that generator, I needed that dynamo that would keep me going. Oh, I knew the scripture, but I had not been empowered until that happened. And when that happened, I noticed that I could apply the scripture that I had been taught as a child now in a dynamic fashion to defend not only my faith, but the the word of God. And friends, that makes a lot of difference. So let's look at this, what God has for you. Now, maybe some of you say, well, I don't know if I've been spirit filled or not. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. First question is, do you have a supernatural love? for God and a supernatural love for the lost. Now, let me tell you something. I'm still scared to talk to people. I am. But the thing is, I love them more than my fear of not talking to them. Does that make sense? In other words, I love you enough to say something to you in spite of the condition you're in or or, or your rejection of me because I'm telling you. That makes a lot of difference because the thing is, I'm more concerned about your eternal soul than what you think of me personally. Before I was spirit-filled, I didn't feel that way. And so the dynamo keeps going. Well, that person may have rejected me. Well, who's next? That dynamo keeps churning and you look for somebody else you can share faith with. So that is why I believe it's so important. Now, verse 1, chapter 2, Acts. Now when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were setting. This word in the Greek is the word ruah. It's the wind or the breath of God. And we find it interestingly through the Bible. It said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was about form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God's ruah, God's spirit, hovered above the waters. If you spend any time uh, looking at the prophecies of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 37 Talk about late night pepperoni pizza, okay? God brings Ezekiel into a valley of dry bones. Uh, Like I say, you ever had late night dreams that are really weird? Well, he got this. And this wasn't just a dream, friends. This is really a prophecy that happened. He brings him into a valley of dry bones. And he, God said to Ezekiel, can these bones be made to live again? And, and, and Ezekiel said, Lord, thou knowest. And he said, prophesy to the bones. Tell them to come together. 
And the Bible says in Ezekiel 37, there was a rattling and a shaking, and all of a sudden, all these bones start popping together like a bunch of Legos. Pop, 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 pop. And then prophesy to him. And then he said this. He said, prophesy to the wind and breathe life into him. Again, the word ruah. God's spirit moved into him. They were dead. God moved into him. Now, it says here, there was a sound from heaven like the sound of a rushing wind. I don't know what that is, but I'll tell you, sometimes here in Idaho at night, you go to bed, it'll be like maybe 75, 80 degrees. And by two in the morning, all of a sudden, you hear the sound of a rushing mighty wind. That means the nice warm air is leaving. And in place, nice cold air is coming in, okay? And there's that change of the high pressure and low pressure. And there's that wind that blows. And you hear the... And you hear stuff hitting the house and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the Bible says that it was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Now notice he says, And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, as they were praying, they were gathered there. There was a sound of a wind. Then something that looked like flame above their heads appeared, and they began to speak in other tongues. Now, what is that? Well, you know, it's interesting in the Bible. If you remember back in the book of Genesis... Um, where there was the um, dividing up of the nations. And you remember that they were decided to build a tower into the heavens. And it was going to be their, actually their modif, their, their God, if you will. And God says, seeing that they, <clears throat> nothing that they have imagined they cannot do. And by the way, this is a danger in religious circles, which you just keep using your faith word to you, you keep saying to you, get what you want. Friends, that is really modified witchcraft. That's what all it is. Because we're never told to pray that way. We're told to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my kingdom come, my will be done. Because really, honestly, everybody, we don't really know what we want anyway, do we? I mean, we think we do. We got a whole garage full of stuff we thought we needed. I've been to some of the yard sales. I see you have stuff too. And when we understand that, we don't really know. I'd rather say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why am I sitting around then claiming my Americanus Maximus with tinted glass and air conditioning? And every time I walk past my refrigerator where that car is stuck on the icebox, I'm claiming my Americanus Maximus. If anybody has one of those, let me know. I made that up. But I'm claiming that. That's mine. And God says, what are you claiming that for? I'm going to send you as a missionary overseas in a week. Do you see the problem? I begin to control God. God's my Santa Claus. I'm telling him what to do. No, no, no. I'd rather have God tell me what to do. And when God then is in control of my life, I'm filled with the Spirit. There's a love for people. I'm going to bend, yield, do whatever I've got to do to get to those people. 
And maybe it will use talents and abilities that I naturally have, like being a little wired geek with a pocket saver and a screwdriver in it in high school. I can't believe I did that. But the thing is, God used that later in my life as he coupled natural abilities with supernatural abilities so that we have what we have And the vision in the ministry, as an example of this church, is to reach the entire world for God. And we do. One-third of America is listening, can listen to this right now, here today. One-third of America. We have that many radio stations. And I stop to look at that and I go, God, it was only because of that dynamo, your Holy Spirit, because I would have given up a long time ago through the heartache and the depression and all those things that we go through. Look, I look at what Paul went through, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. It says, I would not have you ignorant of the trouble that came to us when we were in Asia. Now, we was in Asia to preach the gospel. He says, the trouble that came to us when we were in Asia, that we despaired above measure, He said, we were pressed beyond measure and we despaired even of life. Friends, he was suicidal. You feel like giving up sometimes? Paul did. Read 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. But verse 9 says, but these things happened that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Sometimes you will never realize God is all you need till he's all you have. And that's one of the great problems that we find because we like to be self-sufficient. We like to be that spiritual Winnebago, go anywhere, I'm self-contained, I don't need you, you don't need me, I'm gone. Little poodle dog. That's all I need. Well, see, the problem is, is that God didn't design me like that. God doesn't design the church like that. And the power of the Holy Spirit first gives us a love for God, supernatural love, dynamo love for God. Number two, a love for the lost. When Jesus, you look at a cursory overview of the Gospels, and Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. Friends, that is not normal. Because a lot of us don't like people. Why? Because we've been burned by people. And how many times do you want to be fried? Well, think about it a minute. But yet God, in his love, keeps coming back, but they need me. They need me. They need me. Do good to your enemies. Bless those that persecute you. Everything that in myself goes, no, I need a supernatural kick in the pants, if you will, to do what God wants me to do. Dynamo of the Holy Spirit. You see, that is what we need. Son of a rushing wind comes in. They begin to speak in other tongues. The Tower of Babel, they're building this tower. And as they build this tower, God says, I see now there's nothing that they cannot do. And so he confused their languages. And he broke humanity apart through languages. But we find here in Acts chapter 2, he brings the world back together. Through languages. I think this is God's 
way of saying, here, I'm making this right. Notice it says, now that we're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. Now, Jews means they were following after the Old Testament. They were trying to justify themselves by keeping the Ten Commandments, the Law, and the Prophets. Okay? And very quickly, they came to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And I can just imagine their minds thinking different things. And Jesus said, well, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then he says, the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Now, I know I repeat this a lot to you, but you'd be surprised how many people in our community here in Twin Falls, Idaho, believe that you have to keep the law to be saved. They've never spent any time reading the book of Galatians. They've never spent any time really understanding what grace is. And grace is not having one foot in the law and one foot in in, in God's grace. You're either in God's grace or you're in the law. The law shows us, according to Galatians, the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. It showed us we're blowing it. If If you don't know what the law is. Have you ever been pulled over by a cop? And he said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I remember I looked at him and I said, I haven't the foggiest. I had no idea. I was breaking a law. I didn't even know what it was. And I don't even remember what it was. I was, um, I don't know. Oh, I remember what it was. It was, he goes, you turned left or turned right on red. Anybody ever know about that? Be careful of that one. You come up to a stop, you look both ways, and you turn right. Red lights come on. Why they pulled you over? I don't know. You turned right on red. I didn't see the sign. Well, there's one there. It's up on top. The next day I went over and looked. It's this big. Up, way up on the, like, like where the light pole is. I I mean, if I was looking for airplanes, I would have seen it. He didn't give me a ticket, thank the Lord. But if we don't know that there's a law, you don't know that you're breaking it. The law gave us that, that outline saying, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. That was that. But that doesn't justify us. In fact, in Exodus 20, where the law was given, if you've been coming here when we went through the book of Exodus... Chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments were given, it says, this is a test. It doesn't say this is to justify man. It says this is a test. Well, I'll tell you, that's a fun thing to show people that believe you've got to keep the Ten Commandments to go to heaven. The Bible says if you err in one, you've erred in all of them. What we need is a Savior. We need somebody that can keep the Ten Commandments and then impart that righteousness to me. That's what I need. Now, the thing is, these people were devout Jews. They believed in keeping the law. But anybody that's ever tried to live under the law, you know you can't. Even Jesus did this. He said, if you thought it in your heart, you've done it. So it says, there were uh, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, 
from every nation under heaven. Now, why were they there? Because it was the second greatest feast in the Jewish system. You had Passover, and then you had, 50 days later, Pentecost. Now, when we understand that this thing, this Pentecost, was a high holy day, people from all over the world came to celebrate this like they would uh, Passover. So he says, when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language or in their own dialect, literally in the Greek. So what you've got is you've got this sound of a Russian mighty wind. You've got all these people from all over the world. They're celebrating Passover. They hear this wind. And they go, what is that, man? And, and I don't know whether it was like a little, uh, like a like a little mini tornado over the house or whatever. But they all come rushing over to find out what's going on. And when they get there, they hear everybody speaking different languages in their hometown dialect. Now, what that means is this. If you're from Oklahoma, you'd hear somebody talking. You know what I'm talking about? If you're from Southern California, dude, you would hear them speaking Southern Californian. I don't know if that's a real word, but it should be. If you were from somebody from England, you would hear them speak English with a uh, their their accent on the words. That's what it means, literally. This is what was so amazing. How do we hear this? Now notice it says, they had this poured out, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are these who speak, are they not Galileans? Um, why would they know our hometown dialect? Now, how did they know they were Galileans? The way they were dressed. Um, most likely, most likely because they were in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem. And it says they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who commune, who speak Galileans? And we hear each one in our own language in which we were born. Again, that dialect thing. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who dwell in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. Wow. So God pours out on them the gift of the Holy Spirit, they come rushing because they hear the wind, but they find something a whole lot more than a dust devil. They find people that they knew did not know their hometown dialects worshiping God. Now remember, it says they were speaking the wonderful works of God. This would be praise to the king. Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, those that pray in an unknown language pray to God and not to man. I think that's really important because nowhere in the Bible, well, the gift of tongues was given to the disciples so they could go out in all parts of the world and preach sermons. You'll never find that in the scripture. 
That's not why the gift of the Holy Spirit, I believe, was given. I believe it was given to show and transcend language is not a barrier, not because of a supernatural gift, but that God speaks to us and then we speak to him. The Bible says if you pray in an unknown tongue, you need to pray that God will give you the interpretation of it. Now, in the Greek, the word there means to translate to another language. Now, people say, well, why do I need to pray in an unknown tongue? I think that's a good question. But I will tell you this. No sound, Paul says, is without meaning. It all has a meaning that comes from God. And I believe sometimes when we pray and we really get in deep with the Spirit, and we're just really pouring our heart out before God, I believe we run out of words in English sometimes. And I believe this is where this gift of tongues comes in. The Bible also says, Paul says, we pray in groanings. Now, I've prayed for people, I know the situation, and I look at them and all I can go is, oh, I don't know what to say. It's overwhelming. So, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. The Bible says those that pray in an unknown tongue build up themselves, so they in turn can build up others. Now, Paul also says, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you'll have one of the other gifts that are mentioned. There's the gift of helps. There's words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healing, administrations. There's all kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the family of God to make it as if Jesus himself was here. I like that. And so it says they were gathered and they were all amazed, perplexed, whatever could this mean? Well, others mocking said, oh, they're full of wine. But Peter, now I like this. Peter, the guy with the pocket saver and the pencil, okay, or the screwdriver. Peter, the guy that always, if you were going to describe Peter before the Holy Spirit came in his life, you would say in the words of hunting, ready, shoot, aim. Instead of ready, aim, shoot, Peter would say things and then have to retract everything. He's, Lord, I'll never deny you. Cock, Jesus said before the cock crows twice, you'll deny you know me three times. But notice Peter now, filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice the difference. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is which was spoken of by the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. Now, a couple things here. First thing you find is you find... Um, Peter, who once got it all wrong, now standing up and speaking to them and saying, they're not drunk as you think, but they're filled with the Spirit. He actually took on their excuse for what they saw spiritually happening. I believe, friends, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. That when we see something wrong, we will say something about it. Whether it's doctrinally, 
whether it's politically, whether it's in the home, or at your work. When we see something, I was talking to one of the brothers here uh, this morning, and he told me, he says, yeah, I'm quitting my job. He says, I'm going somewhere else because the ethic of the company that I work at is so poor. I think that's what you get here. In other words, you see things that are wrong, but rather than just go along with everybody else and what's wrong, you just make a stand and say, that's not right. And so this is what happened. Look in the Old Testament. The Bible says that sundry times the Holy Spirit would come on the prophets of old. But now this is for everybody, for all of us. That we would be empowered by God to make a stand for what is right. Have you noticed something really wrong in the church? People know what's right. It was like me back being taught by my mom. I knew the Bible, but there was no power to stand up and say, that is wrong. And as I looked at those guys through the screen door, everything they said I knew was wrong, but I didn't either, A, have the power within me to correct it, or know exactly how to say it. And that was one of the most frustrating things, I believe, I experienced. And once the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, then I could say, hey, that ain't right. If you're in a complacent place in your Christianity, you know God, you love God, but there's no boldness in your life to stand for Christ, to stand for what's right. You know, the Bible tells us the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the first thing it will do, really, and, and we always talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, for you that have been Christians for a while, it's the chapter on love. If I speak with tongue of men and angels and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. I become as a, a clanging bell and a sounding cymbal. Hey, listen. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't to swing on chandeliers. It isn't to knock over rows of pews. So much of what we attribute to the Holy Spirit and Pentecost or a Pentecostal church is a lot of crazy stuff. But don't let that change you from what God really wants to do in the empowering of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the greatest thing that we find is a boldness to speak of him And in that boldness, what is right and love for the lost. How do you have compassion on people when people have burned you your whole life? Friends, you need a supernatural Holy Spirit transfusion. That's what you need. Otherwise, you'll become cynical. And I tell you, I've been around a lot of cynical Christians, but I believe the problem isn't that they don't love God, but they haven't been baptized with fire of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the boldness to stand for what's right. I shared this story, I've shared it a couple times, I'll share it one more time, not to bore you with it, but a guy that I knew, he went to work for a company, and he said everybody, he was informed by all the employees, that one guy and it altered from week to week, would stay behind and punch everybody out at 5 o'clock when everybody left at 2 o'clock. 
And so what he would do is take the time card, clunk, and then get the dinner, clunk, at five o'clock. And he goes, I'm not going to do that. Well, here's the problem. He was wrecking their scam. And so not only now, nobody in the company wanted to work with him because he was a rat, if you will. And he wasn't a rat at all. He was the honest one. They were the rats. He finally left that job. Here's the point. Doing what's right may cost us our life. It is interesting when Jesus said in Acts 1, there you will receive power from on high. The word for power there in that place, or excuse me, for witness, you will become witnesses for me. The word for witness is the word martyrs, which means you'll be a martyr for me. Whoa, that gets kind of gory. But what that's about? Well, it means simply this. That not only will you have the boldness to stand for what's right, even unto death, but you'll have the love that you need to share with people. And so he says, this it's which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So much of what we see today in the church, you can't say that. Well, I went to this church, Mike, and they were holy howling, and they were rolling around on the floor, hysterically laughing. I go, where is that in the Bible? Well, well it's not in there, but, but man, everybody was really having a good time. Well, great, you got a glee club. <laughs> you don't have a church. You see, that's the problem. When we can say this is that which we find in the Scripture, here's the good news. You have a basis for your faith. You have a firm foundation. What is lacking today is everything is experience-oriented. It's how you feel about it. You talk to most Christians today that I've talked to, and you'll ask them about homosexuality or transgenderism. Well, you know, I really don't, I really don't have an opinion on it. Well, you you know what you just told me? You don't know the Bible. And you're not spirit-filled. Because if you were spirit-filled, there would be a, here it is, fire in you, that would say, that is not what the Bible says. doesn't mean God doesn't love them. God loves sinners. But it doesn't mean that God winks at that. Read Romans chapter 1 as an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says in six chapter 6, Paul says, those that practice such lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say it. God said it. Uh, when I, and I, I think something else the empowerment of the Holy Spirit does is I think you begin to really realize you're an ambassador for the king. You can do whatever you want to do to me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just telling you what the book says. I'm not going to tell you anything that it doesn't say or anything it does. Again, you'll never find one sermon ever preached in the Bible in tongues. Ever. And I've had, I, I came out of a denomination, well, that gift was given so the disciples go out and preach sermons in foreign lands. That is not what the Bible says. You cannot prove it in the Bible. And if you can't prove it in the Bible, stay away from it. I have learned one thing in the Bible, and that's this. If the Bible's silent on something, best to stay silent. 
But what the Bible does say, that we have a foundation for. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes, empowers you and me to be witnesses, martyrs if necessary, until he comes and takes us home. People have said this. They said, well, the gift of the Spirit was just to prove the church was real. And the disciples, when they died, the Holy Spirit left, proving you can take it with you when you go. (laughs) No. Let's look at this. And we're going to stop right here. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that I'll pour my Spirit upon all flesh. That's you. That's me. And then he goes on, and it come to pass, in fact, he goes on down, and the sun and moon will be turned to darkness, and the moon and, uh, into blood before the great coming day of the, a notable day of the Lord. In other words, the power of the Holy Spirit will be till the end. I like that. Didn't, didn't uh, leave in, in the last chapter of the book of Acts. God's alive and well on this planet, and you're proof of that. This morning we have communion. And um, we're not going to be able to finish this, of course, today. But one of the things I really like is verse 21. And it'll come to pass, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to call on Jesus today, he'll save you. And something else he'll do, he'll empower you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've had a lot of people say, well, I'd like to have the Holy Spirit come in my life, but I'm scared what God's going to do to me. Well, always remember this. God's never going to do anything to you as a spirit-filled believer that you wouldn't want to do anyway. It's just that now, for the first time in your life, you have the power to do it. And so, if you're not a Christian, I'd like to, first of all, invite you into the kingdom of God. Jesus convicts us of our sins. If there's a chance, one in a hundred million billion, that there is a God, that God's keeping track of everything we've ever done, do you want to take the chance on Judgment Day of dying in your sins? I don't. And what I happen to know that we are more than just animals living on this planet, evolved highest level creatures, as the evolutionists will say. I know that's not true. I've never seen a group of rabbits ever having a, having a little conference like this. I've never seen a bunch of birds having a little... No, 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 we're uniquely different. We have a conscience. We were created in the image of God. God created everything else. But when he came to you and me, he created us in his image. That's important. That means we have a conscience. That means we're awareness. That means we know what we've done, what we haven't done. And God says, I'm willing to forgive you of all the things wrong that you've done if you will believe in me. Now, the word believe, and we find in, first, uh, in uh, John chapter 3, God so loved the world, whoever would believe in him. The word believe there means put all your faith, hope, and trust in him. That's what God wants to do. You to put all your faith, hope, and trust in him. His righteousness is what makes you righteous. It's like uh, when God says, I'll gather them under my wing. Now, God's not a big chicken, metaphorically speaking. But it means he covers us with his righteousness. Friends, that's what you need. I, I, I can't be good enough to go to heaven. That's why I talk to people. I, it's always fun to, you know, because like I say, I talk to anybody. And I'll ask a person, you know, they're, you know, I go, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And they go, well, I've done the best I can. I go, wow, you need to get saved. Well, what do you mean? 
You don't go to heaven because you're good and you've done the best you can. You go to heaven because he was good and his blood covered you. He rose from the dead to give you life. So I don't go to heaven because I'm good. I go to heaven because he's good. I'm just found in him. I'm part of the, I'm part, I'm part of the family. You know what I'm saying? And if you're not part of the family this morning, where you recognize that, you need to accept Christ as your Savior. But that isn't where it ends. That's where it begins. Because then God gives you his Holy Spirit, supercharges you to be bold for him, have a love for the lost, and whatever gifts supernaturally God wants to impart to us, so be it. But I'll tell you, it's an awesome thing when God works in your life. This morning, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, we're going to pray right now that God would do that. So I want you to repeat. If you're not right with God, you know you're distant from God, let's pray and just give it to the Lord and let His righteousness make you holy. Okay? Let's do that first. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, and I invite you to come into my life today. I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for me and his blood covered my sins. He rose from the dead to give me life. So now write my name in your book of life that I spend eternity with you. And I turn my life completely over to you in Jesus' name. Amen.